Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You've let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon and Danny Murphy look back at another win for the Manchester City machine. Is their greatness underappreciated by rival fans? Meantime, reports suggest we will finally get to see Josh Taylor and Jack Catterall fight in their much-anticipated rematch. Will it catch the public's eye, or has too much time passed? Plus... How would Danny Murphy fix VAR? Find out in this episode about Spoken with White and Jordan. To all the lovers out there, a very happy Valentine's Day to you all. Danny Sniggering, I'm coming to him in a second, but lover boy to my right, your Royal <laughs> Highness. Morning. Did you send and did you receive? I did. I, I'm gobsmacked to receive something this morning. Oh, yeah, because mm. you were telling me there was next to no hope that you were going to get anything. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Oh, I'm very, I'm very, very surprised. Um, good job I nipped out at 7 o'clock this morning to Tesco's and got a Valentine's card. See, I remember when you were crying that morning in Qatar when we were at breakfast uh, and you said to me, all I want to be is loved. And I said, you <laughs> you, you are. You are. Now go and get me some orange juice. But I was saying it to the billionaire Nasser Al-Khalafi at the time. <laughs> <laughs> You were indeed. Uh, Danny, did you send and did you receive? Nope. No. Sorry, say, come closer to the microphone. That was too quick. No. No? No. No, okay. We'll move on. I'm, and we'll move on. Yeah, it's a sports show, not a love show. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you were a one-time great Lothario. I mean, what has happened? I don't know about that. Oh, well. As the ardour cooled. He's been dumped. <laughs> I don't think it's as severe as that, but thanks for putting it in those terms. Um, uh, yes, well, I've still to check my mailbox myself. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait until later on. But certainly, I would have thought the numbers that I've sent out to try and get a few cards back, I would like to think. Anyway, happy, uh, happy anniversary, happy Valentine's Day to everybody listening all around the country. Uh, Simon, that was quite a discussion yesterday with Ugo Monye and uh, yeah, so. the, the professor from uh, the American so. professor from uh, Winchester uh, University, Eric Anderson. I was crossing London Bridge last night after 
having a meal. Scott, black cab driver, thank you for that. He pulled up at the light, said that was unbelievable this morning. Sure, you weren't hanging off the end of it. I I was not (laughs) hanging off the end of it. I looked right and left. Um, (laughs) But the black cab drivers in London are a great litmus test, a great. It was a good discussion, Danny. I mean, they won't be they won't be exchanging any Valentine's cards between those two guys. No, but it was a grown-up conversation with two people that are diametrically opposed. You know what? I I heard them both separately last the week before, and I, I should have tuned in, but I was. But it was good to put them because very rarely do you get two yeah. sides uh, from a, f- of the argument. Normally, what you get is a, an expert on one field, an expert on another, in isolation, and you walk away going, "Well, that was quite compelling. That was quite compelling." But you had the two boys in the room. Yeah, it, not, didn't, not, it didn't end up in personalised no, silliness. No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Like no, it didn't. you and Eddie no, when you started talking no, about past no, business no, adventures. Just because I told you you got dumped, don't try and bring me into <laughs> previous conversations. <laughs> I, I do think Simon that we haven't heard the last of it, uh, and that the two will be in studio again. Now they've met, and cross swords. I think we probably maybe. And of course, it was all about um, kids under the age of 16 yeah. you know should should they be thrust into playing rugby should they be thrust into boxing at yeah. that age when they don't really have a say in it themselves for sure well it was also about the use of extreme terminologies and the perception that uh, that the professor had hijacked the timing of it given the six nations which of course he had done and i don't blame him because if you're being ignored yeah. then you you find a different way to be heard it's an interesting debate and, and, and there's rights and wrongs on both sides of the argument sure uh, Danny I watched it I watched most of it last night and then um, I decided another day tomorrow so I better bed early but Manchester City move one step closer to the Champions League quarterfinals uh, a 3-1 win in Copenhagen Danny I'm, I'm looking at that one or two people have mentioned this to me earlier on whatever City do at the moment Will their European successes ever be idolised, if you like, recognised, if you like, in the same way as Manchester United's was back in 1999, when they won the new camp, when they came back, when it looked as if it was all gone against Bayern Munich? City just seemed to go on with it. Everybody always talks about that night in the new camp. They don't talk about City in similar terms. Well, because we're not that far ahead of it yet. Um I think the City team and what they're achieving and what they've already achieved will be talked about more glowingly and more respectfully as time passes. I think that's normally the way. Yeah. Um, there's nobody who, who loves the game and understands the game that can't, who could go against the magnificence of what they're achieving and what they've done. Mm. And their consistency levels is beyond anything I've seen you know they're, they're talking about the amount of points they, they get every season the, the the latter stage of the Champions League every season bar one it's it's just incredible and and you get the feeling there's more to come yeah unfortunately I for, think for everybody right, else in football Simon do we only truly understand what we had once it's gone possibly but I think that could be said about many things in life isn't mm. it I mean you look back in 99 and it's a different time in the evolution of the Premier League it's pre-Chelsea it's pre the, the other sides that are able now to compete with the, the legacy sides like Manchester United and Liverpool and possibly even Arsenal um, where because they've, they've had enormous benefactors that have come in and of course in the 99 situation you've got the stardust of other people around it like Beckham and people like that they're all part of folklore and then you've got the manner in which they won that Champions League final mm. because they do it with two goals in the last two minutes of a game which they were dead and buried in That's or right. perceived to be dead That's and buried right. in. Yeah. And then you've got the other side of the argument which is that people don't admire certain aspects of Manchester City's performance off the field. And when you've got people, when you've got the champions of England, albeit still only allegations, but found guilty by UEFA, being charged 
with 115 charges and some of them about the mechanization of the opportunity then it all becomes a little bit but as far as and as far as the team are concerned I mean, it's difficult to argue that you aren't looking at the most remarkable... I think you are looking at the most remarkable team in the Premier League era. Not in English football, but in in the Premier League era. Because Liverpool will lay claim to the teams of the 70s and 80s that can make that similar sort of claim. And then you've got Pep coming out with self-serving tripe about nobody felt (laughs) that this club was going to be big enough to win the Champions League. Oh, leave off. You've you've spent hundreds of millions of pounds on players. You've bought the best manager. You've had the best facilities. I used to listen to this nonsense about, oh, they're not experienced enough. But all their players have played in massive sides mm. that have won Champions Leagues or been participants in significant Champions League games. So I'm think- not surprised they've won the Champions League. And I didn't think eight years ago, or whenever he walked through the door, this was going to be too much romantic. I was in the camp of going, well, when are you going to bloody win it then? Do you know what? Yes. I, 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 was, I agree with that. I, I don't. I wasn't in that I actually, when he came in... Even though you know what, I a part of me was like, he hasn't done it at Munich. He only did it because he had Messi. That kind of attitude, you know, this city side, he's got to rebuild it. But he was brought in to do it. I know he in was. Some respects. But, but I'm saying yeah. that my feeling, and I think others I spoke to, was like, mm, we'll see. And he's got to overcome Liverpool. Yeah, I that. mean, the jury was out. And, to and, and so, so I don't, I don't think it's tripe. What overcome he said. Liverpool. When was it going to open? In 2015? Well, I've, I've thrown Liverpool in there, but as as in, 16. you know, to become a powerhouse in the Premier League, because yeah. they were already established powerhouses in terms of their history and their worldwide support and all the things. You know, Liverpool have won the Champions League in recent times twice, haven't they? So, the but fact- they hadn't won the Premier League for 30 years, and Manchester City had won it yeah. before he yeah, walked in the but, door. All right, Arsenal. Throw Arsenal in with Wenger's success. So, what I'm saying is, the, the reality is that City had got nowhere near to a Champions League final. No, a semi-final mm. before he come. So to think he was going to get them there wasn't everybody. I don't think everybody was on board with that. I must admit, I, I, I'm with Simon. I'm, I'm with Simon, Danny. I thought that's just what he's here to do. It is what he's there to do. I get that, and he knew that. He knew the yeah. remit. Yeah, and maybe maybe whatever he's saying. Did now you think comes, it was beyond? It, did you think it was going to be beyond Manchester City and their aspirations and their ambitions and their resources and their direction of travel that they were going to win the Champions League? Well, that I, I seems to be the picture when, he's painting. When they didn't get over the line a couple of times in, in years gone by, you know, the semi-final and final and stuff. Part of me thought he might just walk. At one point, I never thought he'd stay this long. You know, because at Munich he ended up leaving when he didn't get over the line. You think, we, what a club to stay at to yeah, try and get, you know. You so, so I don't think it was a given that everybody <laughs> thought this inevitable. It was inevitable they were going to go. Well, get, I don't think it was inevitable. Danny, have a listen to this. Simon calls it self-serving tripe. I'm not sure if it was self-serving tripe, but this was Guardiola on what he thought they could and couldn't do. I think the mentality. We have a good characters, good personalities in the team. How they react in the bad moment. So. In that terms, yes, I had the feeling like uh, when I arrived years ago, this competition was a little bit like, wow, maybe it's too much for us. And our defeats and our bad moments and our steps to grow up and help us to be in that position that we are, you know, two Champions League, one semi-final, two Champions League final, one semi-final in the last three years. And now we have the awareness, all the club is saying, okay, we can go everywhere to try to be ourselves before. I felt, okay, let's go. Uh, are you sure, Pep, that we are ready to, to do it? Now I think all organization, all the club believe that we can do it. And this is, I think, the best the best legacy that we we gave to the, to the club, to the team, that now, okay, Man City, they can compete. That is so good. And yet the messages start, and there's one, Danny, of quite a number. How can you three sit there in awe of City? when they have these charges hanging over them, anyone can play total football when they buy it 
Well, if you go... That's just one of a number yeah, of but, 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 but that's not true, because Manchester United have spent as much, if not more, than Manchester City. Well, they have spent more. And so with that in mind, that's, that argument is not right. And no one's sat here in their thrall. We've, we've put a rounded argument, which is, on one hand, you have to admire the magnificence of the performance on the pitch, and this team will win the Champions League again this year, because I don't let, see anyone else beating them. Yeah, but let's also say, when, when Man United won the treble, and when, when they had the power, when they were the best side around, and... You know, they no one could compete with their spending power in our league when they went out and got the best player every season. When Ferguson decided, I'll go and get Verona, or I'll go and get Ferdinand, or I'll go and get Van Nistelrooy. You know, they, they 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 had the best wealth. Now we can look at the charges and analyze them, how far back they go, and ultimately you can give lots of managers all the money in the world, and they still wouldn't be they still wouldn't be where, yeah, Pe where yeah. Pep's team is. Yeah. But the characterization of the question and the reasons why the responses are coming back is because we've characterized it. Our Manchester City underappreciated. Well, no, they're not. I don't know what you want. And I also don't necessarily agree with the position of the fact that, they, that Pep says, where are we going to win it, where are we not going to win it, was too much. Well, you lost to Lyon in a semi-final that you should have won. Yeah. You didn't turn up against Chelsea. So these were on you and your decisions True. rather than your ability to win this tournament. True. But you have to admire Manchester City for their performance on the field, whether you like the manner in which they got there and the allegations that surround you, you them. You do have to admire that, well, Simon. Not do, can but, you? No, but th there are those who just flat won. Yeah, but that's the you, you would the, all, they But that's won. tribalism. Yeah. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. A few eyebrows were raised at the weekend after Saturday's 2-0 win over Everton for City. Pep uh, congratulated Erling Haaland on scoring both goals, but then said this to the Scandinavian broadcaster TV2. His body language in the first half was not good. And then he followed it up with that. Danny, where do you go with that? I mean, this is Erling Haaland we're talking about. Pep saying there, Erling is defined on goals, but it's not just that. It's also about how he is clapping, encouraging his mates. And in the first intense press, this is what we need from Erling. In other words, it's not just about goals. This is what we need for him. When we press, we need him to do X, Y, and Z. Well, he was saying he not just goals. Yeah, but he was. He actually said there because sometimes his wording, people take it the wrong way. He actually said so many games he does clap and encourage other players. He said that there. He does do that. He's right. Maybe he was saying in the first half he wasn't quite at that, but that's fine because that's he's been out how many months? You know, he, he's he's going to need a little bit of time. Irrelevant, but but mo. Look, Haaland's strength is what most people perceive his weakness to be, which is his discipline in keeping his position and being patient. He does not care about looking good. He does not care if he has 15 touches in a game. Yeah. He keeps his position amazingly well, and it takes super discipline because in a side that dominate possession and have so many wonderful technicians, it would be easy for him to drop in and get a few more touches on the ball and look like he's joining in and look like he's linking the play. For what? Don't need him to. They dominate every game. So all he does is he stays high and he keeps making the runs and he waits. Sometimes he's walking. Sometimes he looks a bit like he's not involved. But that's what great centre-forwards do. I, I know what Pep's saying. Yeah, of course you want him to be a team player and geeing people up. and he, their, their press is really important to him. And generally, he does it really well. Have you played with anyone remotely like Haaland? Michael Owen in his pomp was somebody who was very aware of what his strengths were. And his strengths were scoring goals? Off the back of people, yeah. And not, and not worrying too much about if he hadn't touched the ball for a little. Darren Bent was brilliant at it. In fact, Darren Bent was incredible at not doing the things he wasn't good at. He'd stay out of the way. Because he, he knew. He'd just wait and wait. And Michael did it as well. But Haaland is the best striker in the world at 23 years of age. And, and unlike... 
anything I've ever seen before because of his obviously game intelligence but his discipline to play the role how close is he to being the complete striker he is, is he already yeah he's complete well, what, what what can't he do the only thing you might saying that you maybe work a little bit more on his right foot but if you saw the finish against Everton my god that was on his weak foot nearly took the net off but he doesn't score that many right footed goals he'll run round his right foot sometimes to, yeah. to bend him in with his left so that would be the only small thing but brilliant in the air fast strong scores goals disciplined team player humble not a party boy what, what more do you want it's almost Simon as if they've got to pull the brakes on him isn't it he's a huge competitor says Pep who wants to score goals I know that we know that so if we don't score or if he doesn't score in 10 minutes it's okay just relax yeah I mean it's got it's got shades of his battle with Aguero and wanting Aguero there was an argument about Aguero scored goals for fun what else did he need to do um, and there'll be an argument about the fact that uh, Erlen Haaland has the luxury of not having to do other things because he's playing in a side that's so unique that you don't have to ask him to do anything because the, the ball will eventually land where it needs to for him he might then morph into other sides that aren't as good as Manchester City it also feels like everything's focused on Erling Haaland Erling Haaland is a centre of attention most of the time and the expectation levels alongside the management of the player and his outlook in the world it feels like there's some wisdom being imparted from Pep to remind people that actually I'm the manager of this team it's my standards that are defined not what you lot think of, of Erling Haaland not what Erling Haaland thinks of himself it's what I think is good it's what I think needs to be said at certain times I don't think it's particularly acerbic I, I just think it's a manager talking in, a, in in context about a player that possibly was coming back into his side and wasn't doing a couple of things that he'd like him to see and I don't think it's over I don't think it's necessarily as far reaching as Danny alludes to in terms of the expectation of what Erling Haaland every player can improve every player can add different facets to well, their yeah, game minimum, minimally with him in terms well, of wisdom and experience the more he plays but we'll see I mean at this moment in time he has the luxury of being in a situation where he's playing for such a remarkable side yeah. that he doesn't have to add other facets to his game no, and, and was... adding facets to his game surely doesn't mean detracting from others does it? No I, I, I think you have to be careful how what you add to make yourself look better and the team worse some players can make themselves look better on any given day, but it doesn't benefit the team. I mean, that's that's rare, but it can happen, especially as a striker. You know, we've how many times have we sat on the show talking about strikers who we see him everywhere, but in front of goal, you know, he's put he's chasing yeah, yeah, fullbacks yeah. down and wingers yeah. down and all that. But I yeah. just think with Haaland, there's 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 a lot of talk because of who he is and the club he's at and how big a figure a personality is in terms of you know his stature and all that. Do you agree with that? The, he, he can't do what Harry King can do. Drop in? No, he doesn't drop in and, and put people in. That's that's not his game. Mm. Mm. Harry Kane can play as a ten or a nine. Yeah. Very different player. Harlan's an out and out striker. But is he also, is, but is he also saying that? I mean, I, it's interesting. I watched on Saturday the centre half that everyone's raving about get shrugged off like got ragdolled. Yeah, the I Everton felt a bit on that. It was a bit of off balance. Yeah, I know, so but notwithstanding it, Harland so played well. on, on a, a level and made that centre back look relatively pedestrian at that time, um, and that's potential. And people are talking about him being an eighty million pound centre back. He's good. Um, okay, he's good. But with Harland, you know, you look at it and say there is this um, feeling that it's all about goals. And of course, there will be times when teams are going to really focus on Haaland more than they are now and get better centre-halves playing against him. And he might not create, the, might not find the opportunities for himself. And then, well, it may happen because, <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? Well, no, no, the same level of goals every club has been at. Understood. But notwithstanding so that, there, there, there may well come times. I mean, we've seen the best players in the world be marked out of games. 
We've well, seen the best you, players. The best players in the world consistently score the same amount of goals. Uh, granted, but there will be individual games guaranteed dollars for donuts where the best player on the pitch or the goal scorer gets marked out of the game. Now, what Pep yeah, could be saying is, in that instance, yeah. if you've got another part of your game which creates assists, you're moving off the ball, you're more worried about creating an opportunity for someone else rather than your goal tally because you're all about goals and all the media are interested in you is if Erlen Haaland doesn't score it makes the news mm. right so with that in mind there's that added additional perspective if you become more intelligent and more aware of right. other things in the game right. then you're going to become as more even more dangerous as part of the side because you're going to create solutions for other people yeah. without being the goal scorer yourself yeah I, I, I think that's fair but I, but I think I don't see that as a a the, weakness I don't no I think the fact he plays that role so disciplined and understands it Gives the other players the space to do right. the things, and the do. best you've seen in, in English football at being disciplined in that role. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and and the the uh, maybe the only thing that's more important than what you're talking about, Sai, is that on occasion when City is so dominant or the game's just going a little bit flat, he does switch off maybe physically on the press. I don't know. I'd have to watch that a bit more closely. I yeah. don't see that. I think his work off the ball is really good. Yeah, oh, I mean, I saw him see. recently smashing into someone. Remember, I think I had ding dong with someone, two or three tackles in the same game. I think it was Godfrey a while back. Remember that one? I, I, I don't, I don't see a weakness in him. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Simon, it's about time that we get news of a, a, a really decent fight. And a really decent fight is on the horizon. The return of Josh Taylor in the ring against Jack Cattrall. This was a fight, of course, uh, before when Josh Taylor retained his then super lightweight world title. Um, it was a hugely controversial points decision that went against Cattrall and went with Taylor. That was February 2022. Can you believe it's that Indeed. long ago? Yeah. And there's been countless talk, endless talk. 
since then yeah. that the two <coughs> may get back in the ring. Yes. Um, uh, there was a very, very brief update from Jack Cattrall himself when he spoke to me briefly this morning, just as we came on air. Yeah, I think uh, right now we're, we're as close as we've uh, we've been uh, to getting it on. I think I've made it clear, and, and Josh has made it clear, we both want the fight. It was coming to an agreement, and I do believe we are close to getting that announcement really soon. It's two years on, Jack. I mean, this has been a long time coming for you to get your opportunity again. It has. It's been a long time coming, but I'm a big believer, everything for a reason, and I feel like a much better fighter now, so uh, second time round, me is in for a world of pain. So any day now, Jack, you'll be able to say, right, I can concentrate on a venue and a date, and it's Taylor. No, correct, he says, yeah. Um, uh, reportedly, the rematch uh, will be fought in the ring on April the 27th yep. at the First Direct Arena in Leeds. Indeed. I know you've got your ears to the ground on this one as well, yep. Simon. That's Catterall himself saying, yeah, mm. yeah, the contract is due to drop any moment. Um, he There's, says it could work in his favour because two years on, he's a better fighter. Um, possibly, and obviously Josh has gone on and lost again to Tiafimo Lopez. And which people didn't expect. He didn't. Sorry, not lost again. Lost because I'm 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 pricing into my thinking that I think yeah. Josh lost the first fight to Jack Catchell. There's no love lost between these two guys. I mean, Josh Taylor was incredibly disdainful and contemptuous of Jack Catchell. Didn't think he was worthy of being in the same ring as him, and came unstuck. And I know he gets very cross, Josh, because he only another one of those that only likes praise and can't take any observations that might be fair um, um, about this particular fight. My gut feel has always told me that the next time round, Josh Taylor will be better prepared. And that the level that Josh Taylor has operated at, which was a pound-for-pound pound level, he didn't get the coverage that he should have got when he won the title, and he's not got the coverage that he should have gotten previously. But he's now getting that coverage and was built up to be a level that he really was at. Did you so, think Cattrall beat him first time around? Yes. Yeah, I absolutely did. And I think most sensible people did, besides some of the top-ranked people that, ironically, are involved with promoting... Um, uh, Josh Taylor. Right. Look, I mean, the problem for Josh is two things. He's gone on and actually lost the fight now to Tiafimo Lopez. But I At also, I think, uh, did he fight? I think he fought him at 140. Or did he fight him at 147? I can't because remember. Because that's the proposed yeah. weight for this but one. But the, the, the question for me is, is that everybody had accepted, not necessarily Josh, but most conventional wisdom had said that Josh is making is finding it difficult to make that weight and that it's now logical for him to step up to 147 and fight in that weight class and there's lots of good fights in there but the point is is that he fought at 140 last time did he fight at 140 that's what yeah. I thought yeah 140 yeah um, so with that in mind you know he's back down at 140 not gone up to 147 as people expected and there's a perception that he's, he's difficult to make that weight but I understand that it's him that's insisted at 140 it's his insistence that they're fighting at that weight class so you're, you're suggesting that suits Catrell better I'm suggesting by the conventional wisdom that most people have been led us to believe is that Josh was struggling to keep at 140 and was going up a weight class because of that. Right. That now coming back down again will drain him a little bit. But he was, 18 months ago, a pound for pound, besides the Jack Catchell two years ago situation. I think it's a great fight. I think it should catch a light. I think it's really got... There's a lot of bad blood there. Jack I mean, Rob, Rob is saying there, does Simon agree? This is akin now to, to Froch Groves. Um, no. It's not far uh, off. Can you imagine the needle on the knife? Well, I, I think that's probably not. I think Carl would probably bristle at that because Josh hasn't had the same level of fights that Carl Froch has had across his career. And obviously, the Grove situation was the, almost the last fight that Carl but had. In terms of rivalry, this is this is 
complete and utter well, hatred I think, between I think to, these I think, two. I think to the boxing world, those in the boxing world that are really close to it would love this fight and think it's a great fight. It, the Fox Grove second fight caught a light because of the situation with the, the feelings of injustice the towards Joel yeah. Groves. And that's where the synergy is and that's where the symmetry is. I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating fight. I, I really do think it's a pick em. Is it now, a pay-per-view? I don't know if they'll do it. I mean, it, it, I think no, I think it'll be on DAZN, so I don't think DAZN will make it pay-per-view. But I think it will be a great, great fight. It's interesting that they found it in the middle because Josh hasn't got his way and potentially had it back at the Hydra in in uh, in Scotland. Right. Uh, and so I think it's a great fight. I think it'll be a fascinating fight and one I'm really looking forward to. And I think it could... it could. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. But I, my initial reaction was, second time round, I think Josh will know what he's going in against, will not put in the performance he put in the first time round, irrespective of what Jack does. But the more I think about it, the more I think it tilts towards a real pick and fight. Mm. And that makes it a great fight. It's a, gr- it's a great one, Dad. It's mouth-watching, isn't it? Well, I, I I don't have the same love for box. I enjoy it, but I don't know it as much as you guys. I, I, I saw that fight and felt a real deep injustice for the lad who liked Jack Cattrall. I, I, it, it really frustrated me and angered me that. I remember coming on the show and speaking about it. So for justice, I, mean, I, I hope he wins. Because also, as well, the way um, Josh Taylor didn't really give him enough credit or show any humility afterwards. Mm. That frustrated me as well, so I hope Jack wins. I mean, I like Josh. I really do like him. I, he didn't, I think, he didn't I think he's been prickly. Well. He's been prickly and he's got, in, got the needle now with people that have suggested that he's lost that fight, so he doesn't like talking to me anymore, whereas he quite liked it when he was getting all the praise. For Taylor. Yeah, got the ump, and he can get over it, grow up. Because eyes, people, well, that's what that's what some of them are like. But when he was getting praised, he was very happy to come on. Now he's not getting praised; he's not so happy to come on. Yeah, and he's got the needle about it and doesn't like it anymore. The fact of the matter is, is if you tackle Josh, because we came on. Do you remember when he came on? And I kept on saying to him, "Josh, are you going to have this fight? Yes. Are you going to have this fight? Yes. Definitely, Josh. Yes." And then he went off and fought Tiafimo Lopez and lost. Do you, yes. more, yeah, do you think yeah. it's more to do because he's Scottish? In, well, that could, that, could, that could be could mm. be that could mm. be that. Mm. Um, and but, but most Scots are climat- Josh but, hanging about. But, say, Duke but most Scots are acclimatised to using uh, uh, losing, so he's yeah, not. That's is true. He? Uh, that is true. Oh, it's, uh, it's funny. <laughs> um, uh, this is a gentleman loving the show. Managed to hear a lot of his. I travel around Cuba. I love it when you guys talk boxing. Another one coming in there. Cattle's got to win it this time uh, because it will right the wrong first time around. A lot mm. of people think that. Well, a the, lot of people still the, think the, that. The, 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 the ultimate tragedy again for Jack is it was for the undisputed. Yeah. It was for all the belts. Mm. Yeah. And they've now yeah. gone, and they were always going to have gone after that fight. Was and there any, then, ever an inquiry um, to... Yes. What, what happened with that and the judges and... Well, because it, it was, I mean, there was a lot of questions, because Ben Shalom came on and talked about it, didn't he? Well, I think ben, 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 ben oh, yeah, raged on yeah, for weeks. And they talked about the, sc- yeah. the scorecards and the nature of the scorecards, and I think a few people got themselves yeah. into a slight difficulty. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Many people still not lovers of VAR, Danny, and you were one of them uh, at the outset. Have you softened your approach on VAR in any way? I still hate it, but I mean, yeah, I have. I, <laughs> Sounds like it. No, I do hate it, but I, I have accepted it. I'm not. I don't get as angry or frustrated with it anymore because it's, it's it's here, isn't it? And you have to kind of just get used to dealing with it and be, become more patient. Oh, um, it's here. It's here to stay. But yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things that will never sit completely right with me because of the reasons I've stated many, many times. Well, I mean, when Lucas Brood, the head of IFAB, was on with us, he said, "Yeah, it's 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 bedding in. It's taking time. You know, we're going to know where we're at with it in about a decade." <laughs> and there was a sharp intake of breath all round. But that's what he meant. It's 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 a, a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that was echoed the other day by the Premier League's chief football officer Tony Scholes, who joined us in this very 
in this very studio. And he spoke about what it's done as opposed to what it's not done. We look at VAR and the results of it, and we can see quite clearly that VAR has made decision-making more accurate than it was before. So that's a good thing. While the VAR checks are taking place, the experience in the stadium, yet none of us can pretend otherwise. It's poor, very poor. If I wasn't on air, I'd perhaps use a different word. Right. But it's not good enough. And, and we recognise that, and we hope to be able to do things about it. Yeah, and I think we're on a journey on this. And, and to be honest, we've moved quickly on this journey over, over the last few years. VAR, of course, has only been here for five years. When it was introduced, I think it was introduced under this misconception that it would make the world perfect. Uh, no new technology is ever going to do that. Yeah, so yeah. we're on a journey, and I think the ultimate destination is full transparency, full openness, everyone in the stadium getting to see the video, getting to hear the audio as well. You can't say fairer than that. We're on a journey, and the outcome of the journey is full transparency, full openness. That's what we're aiming for. He's saying it, Simon, and he is a Premier League's chief football officer, and he's out there live with us, with the audience we get, and we're grateful to it. He's out there saying it. Can't well, be more honest than that. Well, it was interesting. Um, he talked about, because I questioned him about why are the Premier League always the outliers? Why did you decide, in your infinite wisdom, that when VAR was launched in this country, that we were the only league that wasn't going to have referees going to the monitors? And then he said, well, that's, you know, to do a PGMOL. But it's not to do a PGMOL, it's to do with the Premier League. The Premier League decide what PGMOL is going to implement. If, if PGMOL come to the Premier League, and he's a director on PGMOL as well, with a set of parameters that the Premier League don't want, they won't be being implemented. So the sentiments that are being deployed will be decided by the Premier League, and the PGMOL will provide the solutions from a refereeing side of things. I don't agree with him. I, I don't agree with him. About the what? A necessity to make it to make it transparent to the point where the decision-making processes are are flowing through into the stadium. My main issue... Well, you want to keep it a secret? No, no, it's not nothing to do with secret. It's to do with recognising the fact that decisions are made and it's not up for debate. What is what is the bigger issue is the amount of time it takes to make those decisions. Because why then... What, 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 i tell you what, sod the VAR, let's get the referee to make it on the pitch and then the referee can start in the middle of the circle and explain it to everybody what he just did. Where, where, what you're talking about is the reasons why we're making it such a ridiculous four-act play is A, it was characterised that VAR was going to get it 100% right, which is just stupid, because it wasn't, and B, it's taking too long. So characterise it properly, stop taking so long, and then we'll, we won't need this ridiculousness of ne then making a decision-making process involving every aspect of the stadium who won't be listening or be screaming and hurling abuse telling everyone that they're incompetent, including the people that are telling the decision-making process. So what we're doing is just playing to the masses because whatever people haven't got is what they're not happy with. I actually agree with that. I think it's it, it's completely irrelevant whether it becomes transparent and you get to listen to how they made the decision because you're not going to change your mind on what your eyes tell you. The fact you hear that... If you're in the stadium, at well, home it's going to educate actually, but you. You're not even going to hear that because you'll be screwed. You, you see what you see. And the, the fact is hearing them explain their wrong decision doesn't make it better. How does hearing someone tell you how they got it wrong make it better? You need 10 minutes to explain that, look, I was thinking this, doing that. You can't do it in 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah, but you're saying that on how they got it wrong. They're going to, for the most part, they're going to explain on how they got it right. Well, no, because that's just perception. Which Subject is what Tony Scholes said at the start. But no one's well, interested in that. We, we've sat here for how long now and said, statistically, with empirical data, the facts are clear. There is more right decisions. Those that don't have VR will not have it. 
they'll well, turn they, around they and say VAR is incompetent. Well, talk, but talk, irrespective of the facts, not interested in it. They, and what Danny's point is, is in the stadium, once they've seen something and they think that decision has gone the way that or turn it way than they wanted it to, they could get all the explanations in the world. They've still made their mind up. Yeah, that's not a big deal for me. I think the time thing's a big deal. You know, I'd be happy for them to Agreed. say, look, the, the thing with decision-making in VAR is about clear and obvious uh, errors. That's that's the phrase. If it's clear and obvious, you should, you should be able to see it within 60 seconds. That's it. If you're still deliberating... Should you? Well, well, it's well, clear it's and clear obvious. obvious. I think the priority here I is to get the decision right. The... the, the if you're still but, looking, but, but, and it's getting but, more but, right than wrong. But the thing is, make the, it sixty seconds. But you're not you're not arguing for or that. Stick point. a clock in it. Yes, yes. and panic them into making the wrong no, decision. No, be effective. Take your time. If you think it's obvious, you tell them. Yeah. If not, it's take done. your time. Be effective. Well, can you can could you see something if it's clear and obvious? You'd like to think using the word. If you clear need longer than sixty seconds, then stay with the on-field decision. Right. The point the point is this: is that you're not advocating for that. You're advocating. We've already got a situation where we know that the percentage of increase is significant. And then those that don't believe it will now be tweeting in saying, where'd you get that data from? That's rubbish. They have to get more. It's impossible for them not to get more. So so what we're now talking about is the entitlement for the football fan inside the stadium to hear what's going on with an adjudication that they will either disagree with or agree with. I don't think that... And that's an entitlement... Yeah, I don't think that many fans, Simon, who go to the games are that bothered about hearing. Because but, it's on the screen anyway. But we're saying that they are, and we're saying that they're entitled to the transparency. Hmm. They're entitled to have a clear vision. And the reasons why that is an entitlement is because they've made a cock-up of it by taking so long to get to decisions. If they got to decisions in 30 seconds and 60 seconds, this ridiculousness of everyone's entitled to everything would be removed from the equation. Do you know you're, the putting, big... you're putting a clock in the decision-makers. Well, I think you've got to get to a point where they're... Hurry effect- up, boys. Ten seconds. Well, I think, 60 I think seconds we're, is fine. We're in entertainment business. Unless you're going to make VAR part of the entertainment and disnification of football, which they may yet do, right? Nobody's entertained by waiting for two minutes for people in a booth... For the most part, for the most part, decisions are made like that. Do you know what the biggest... So thing is? The very, very few take longer than the, the VAR team or the officials on the pitch. if it takes longer than 60 seconds, them to Jim, do. it's not clear enough. There are, so the uh, decisions even I, in my most, you know, I have been robust in defending VAR. I've sat there on several occasions gone, oh, come on now. Yeah. Come on now, this is too much. You've got, you've got to get this fixed and get this done properly, whether you're automating it and moving it into electronic sensors to be able to determine offsides, to be able to make these decisions, or you're empowering referees to have more balls on the pitch and make their own decision and not need VAR. You know the t- All of those things are, are part of it. But this idea that we must have transparency, and Tony Skull's playing to the gallery and suggesting that it's a terrible, terrible experience and a dreadful experience, no. and it's awful for the fans, it's not... It just needs to be some more sophisticated and quicker. Did you say that to him when he was sitting in here? Yes, the other I bloody day. did. Yes, I did. And I'd have said a lot more if I was. Okay, if I, if Jim, I was there's two things. Like, yes, I did. There's two, there's two things, Simon, that would help. They're all laughing through there. If you could see this on YouTube and Facebook, everyone's laughing. Sorry, Danny, on you go. The two biggest things, <laughs> that, the two biggest things that would help VAR is two rule, two rule changes by iPhone. Make handball deliberate only. Simplify the handball because it's become ridiculous. Everyone agrees with that. So you make handball... How do you make handball not subjective? Because you only give a penalty in the handball in the box... If and it's, and if you know you... what's deliberate and what's not? Yes. Every time? 99. In the mind of that player, every time? 99. Okay. How, is it, would that be better or worse than what we've got? Better. The other thing, the other thing that's going to help, massively, I think, and save time on the offsides and all the armpits and all who's wearing that, is just make offside on your feet. 
make offside on your feet. Just make it on your feet. That's what you taught growing up. You try and keep your feet on line. Just mm. make it by the offside line on people's feet. Keeps it really simple. Do you genuinely, generally, not not for the purpose of provoking a debate, but do you generally believe... Are you by, talking to me? You, yeah, oh, right. yeah. Generally believe that by giving so-called sections of the supporter base what they believe they're entitled to, which is transparency, yeah. transparency yeah. inside a stadium, yeah. that it will enhance the experience and make it a more... Um, engaged environment or do to, you just think it will make more people catcalling to do as much as they can I know, I know it's dreamland but the Six Nations at the weekend the Scotland try was it not was it's it a, a try was it not what happened at uh, cricket what happened and rugby union what or, happened or, at or, the end of it a different audience. They all accepted it, and everybody went home. They, but they, oh yeah, and the and, the, and there's and, no and, and your and in, and your experience and there's no flag. And in your flying. experience, going I, back I just find to it the amazing. Ball war, have you <laughs> have you seen a football fans accept anything? Well, this is it. I mean, School said himself the other day. Uh, the objective is to be transparent and open. In other words, nothing is left to. There's no confusion. You know what, there. Though, this is you? how we got there, and all you can do is pull up. Yeah, but they've got to make their decisions quicker. But all it'll do. And what we're going to do with the them? Pressurise them that, even more. But, but you on VAR duty? But you Jim, get ten more seconds. But, but Jim, what you're asking for is questioning of authority. So then, if a referee makes a decision on the pitch, right? We didn't have VAR. Should he then stand in the middle of the centre circle and explain it to the fans? Because that's the logic that you're... You're, just, you're putting even more pressure on the officials. Do you think he should? No, of course he shouldn't. He's no. the authority. You make a decision. At the end of the day, people make decisions and you have to accept it. What we're basically saying in society is you're entitled to an explanation. You're entitled to an apology. You're entitled to an explanation. You were calling for refs Get, to do press conferences at one point. I was calling for refs to be part of the... To of explain the their decisions. No, because I think it's a valuable voice for them to be able to utilise themselves and to be able to make sure that people understand what refereeing's about rather yeah. than have this constant vilification of that's them. That's when the dust is Just checking for messages from yeah, Tony Scholes or this one having a right laugh at this um no oh, i used to do in the football league meetings when he was sat on the side of the table see it's all coming out now isn't it tony scores we want to thank you for your contribution the other day the premier league's chief football officer came and went but danny's saying two things offside just let it be the foot is that right handball up just deliberate and handball deliberate and only when it's deliberate unless you stop a goal on the line as in hits your arm then it stops a goal of course that's got to be a, a penalty but everything else deliberate handball you're 100% essential download Outspoken with White and Jordan Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan Please leave us a 5 star review On the TalkSport app Or wherever you get your podcast from We're back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show Hi I'm Daniel Founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists And veterinarians to create Pretty Litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.